0: all right and that is officially the kickoff of our best podcast ever i've decided this is going to be the best episode that we ever have we're never going to one up this episode as long as we live even better than last episode maybe last episode was pretty good especially since i drank a beer that i had no idea what it was but it was still like pretty good uh yeah yeah So, um, Sean drinks something stupid this week. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my name is Sean, and I drink something stupid on the podcast every week, which is usually either a uh, random cocktail that I have mixed myself, or a random cocktail that I have mixed myself, but I don't have all the ingredients, so I substituted something. Or sometimes I'll do, like, a stupid game on Twitter and be like, Hey, what should I put in my drink? And then I eat, like, you know, steak and peanut butter in my drink, and, and I almost die. But if you have us yeah, cocktail suggestions, gross. then uh, certainly, uh, you know, shoot those over to me at Twitter, at uh, Spam Omano Spam. And, of course, this is my co-host, as always, uh, Chris. Hi,
1: I'm Chris, wrong on the internet, oh, dead.
0: He's wrong on the internet, so if we get in an argument, you heard it from him, I win. Uh, yeah. Anyways, today's Sean drinks something stupid is a merry metal margarita. I'm not sure what makes it metal. I think they were just, like, trying to come up with holiday-ish names because this thing was in a thing that my wife bought me for Christmas and then forgot in the trunk of her car for four months. Uh, Maybe it's
1: all the zinc shavings.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, probably. That's, that's... You think those are
1: good for you? It's good to have zinc shavings in a drink? I
0: mean, zinc is good for you, right? Uh, it's a, it's a healthy element to digest. It does something. I, I, I learned I about it st- on an episode of Phineas and Ferb and then I immediately forgot everything about it. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure this is going to be mostly just a normal margarita. Anyways, it's a little bottle. I've been doing some of those lately, uh, that you just drop in a bottle and a shot of something. So it's a shot of tequila and a bottle of stuff, and it comes out as a margarita, allegedly. Uh, I didn't rim the salt very well, because I didn't want to, uh, waste a bunch of salt, because I don't hardly ever rim any of my drinks. Uh, so I was like, I don't want to use that much salt. So it's got a crappy salt rim. Uh. One star out of ten for the rim, apparently. The rims so are really on a Pretty low rating rate. for yeah. a salt rim. Yeah, apparently salt rims are rated on a scale of one to ten stars. I, I had no idea. <sighs> hmm. Not too bad, though. Um, I only have table salt anyway, so I was like, it's probably going to be like, me. Eh. Because last time I rimmed a glass with table salt, it was like way too salty. Because I feel like table salt is like way saltier than whatever they use at bars to rim margarita glasses.
1: So they probably use kosher salt That's or sea salt, which has it. The, the crystals are larger. So it's actually uh, less salt in terms of overall.
0: Yeah. Table salts a lot, it's a lot denser. Mm-hmm. So a good rule of thumb
1: for cooking is that if a recipe asks for a certain amount of kosher salt, uh, you want to use about half that much table salt. Huh. If you only
0: have tables, hold. Good to know. Cooking tips with Chris.
1: Yeah.
0: Chris gives cooking tips on the internet. Audette. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, it tastes like a margarita. I mean, I've had plenty of margaritas in my time. This is, um, hmm. No, it's not as good as the usual margaritas I have because the usual margaritas I have are like four bucks on happy hour at this Mexican place that I go to for Taco Tuesday sometimes because they're like, "Hey, look at us! We got seventy-five cent tacos," and I'm like, "Hey, look! I can have like twelve of those."
1: A margarita and a taco for uh, less than five
0: bucks—that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, pretty much. And they're all like little tacos, so even if you get like four, you're still like you're out of there with tip with like ten for like ten bucks with a margarita. That's not bad.
1: Yeah, Uh, never thought I'd say this, but I miss the out-of-doors.
0: Yeah, right? It's like, I can't go out and get a margarita and tacos. So, that's kind of lame. Anyways, let's get into the news and booze. Uh, So, this segment of the podcast, we cover gaming and tabletop news. Usually gaming news, because uh, I don't pay much attention to the tabletop news. Somehow it doesn't get into my stream as often, Uh, but occasionally we talk about it. Uh, maybe we just are lame, so we. I, I think we have to drink for not covering tabletop news enough. I, is, that, that sounds like Ooh. a thing, right? Mm. Why don't you drink it there, Chris?
1: Uh, I'm being boring again this week and drinking another milk stout, uh, left-hand milk stout nitro. Keep uh, stout
0: month rolling another which... week. That's wonderful. Stout month has been going since February.
1: At least one of us is. ready. Uh drank a stout since they started February,
0: so yeah. yeah. So it's it's still Stout Month. Thank you, Golden City Brewery, for inadvertently uh, <laughs> starting us a Stout Month. I thought about going down to the brewery and getting a like a pack of something and then dropping one of the cans off on your porch. <laughs> so I might I might do that sometime in the next few weeks here. So we're drinking the same thing. I think it'll be interesting to get it. Uh, so. If I get out of the house to the brewery, then I'll I'll let you know. I think I
1: also owe you something similar in terms of dropping off beer.
0: Could be. But anyways, uh, into the news. So, slight update from last week's discussion. We talked vaguely about Magic the Gathering because uh, they did a... uh, They announced recently that they're doing a thing with uh, Godzilla. That they're actually going to have Godzilla... Magic cards based on some of the actual kaiju, and we were thinking this was the first time they'd ever done anything like this as uh, with a huge crossover, but apparently Hasbro did a partnership with Wizards in 2017 to make three Joke Transformer cards. But these are the first tournament legal cards that have ever come out of such a thing. So I, th- it's, it's still kind of unprecedented, but they have worked with other companies in the past. So just going back on what we said there a little bit, but, uh, just to inform. Uh... You know, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is out now. Um, so, yeah, uh, came out today. Um, you don't have a PS4, do you, you noob?
1: Nope, this is one of the few times I find myself regretting not having a
0: PS4. Yeah, I mean, when it comes out on PC in a year, you'll probably be set, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um... But yeah, uh, so I got it installed. I was just playing it for about an hour before we started here. Um, so I figured I'd just tell my little initial thoughts here. I got the Deluxe Edition, which came with a bunch of cool stuff. So uh, when we get back to Chris Brings a Thing or Sean Brings a Thing, I'll show you all my swag there, Chris. It's pretty sweet. comes with like a steel book and art book and a little... Um, uh, soundtrack CD, so it's like yeah, that's pretty good for you know twenty bucks extra. I feel like I am definitely getting my money's worth there. I probably would have paid twenty bucks for the soundtrack CD, you know.
1: On the one hand, it's a needless luxury, but on the other hand, God, do I love those little luxuries!
0: Right? Yeah, <laughs> like I'm putting this CD in my car. It's gonna be great. You know, I already got. I think I'll swap out my Twilight Princess soundtrack because the uh, the one I got is like it's. Not, like, terrible. The, the Twilight Princess soundtrack in general, I feel like, is great, but the particular selections on the CD I have in my car is, like, not all of the best listening music ones, you know? I feel like
1: a lot of the soundtrack, uh, soundtracks that they send out that are limited leave out a lot of really great songs. Yeah. Uh, I, like, I like the full extended OSTs.
0: yeah. But usually I'm like, I want it, but I don't want to pay, like, 50, 80 bucks for it, you know, depending on how extensive it is for certain games. Sometimes it's like, oh, here's a, you know, 10-disc collection that's got all the music from this game. That's 80 bucks. Yeah,
1: and it's very rare to even be able to find uh,
0: physical copies like that anymore, so. yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the issue there, but, um, it's pretty sweet. Um, basically my first impressions of it are like, I was like literally the entire time just kind of like stunned with excitement. Uh, maybe just cause of how long I've been waiting for this since they announced it seven years ago or something crazy like that. It was, it was 2013, seven 2014. Was it, was it 2013? I don't uh, actually know when they announced it it was before 2015 so it's at least six years ago that they announced it i'm just like oh my god how long are we gonna have to wait but it's finally here and um it is um it is totally worth the wait it is it is one of the best games i've ever played uh after my one hour segment i'm just hooked again Of Because it's, like, it takes everything that the original did, but it amps it up to, like, 11. It's, um... Like, the battle system is not at all the same. It's, like, this new kind of... It's got some uh, pseudo-tactical stuff in it. Like, you can kind of, like, slow down time, almost Matrix-style, while you're navigating menus to do your spells and different abilities and stuff. And that's pretty cool. Um... But mostly, you're in a like a real time kind of scenario, you know, dodging bullets uh, and you know hacking down bad guys. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds in that regard. It's a really interesting blend of the two styles. So, would you?
1: Is there another game I could compare it to? I I was really hoping it wouldn't end up like, say, Final Fantasy Thirteen's combat style. Not uh, that that was one of the bad things about that game. It just that. It wasn't as great.
0: Yeah, um, it also has a classic mode, which uh, is supposed to be more akin to the turn-based. So basically, from the sound, it kind of sounds like uh, your character will do the uh, blocking and dodging and auto-attack basically all the time, and so you just won't have to control that part of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then you'll just basically be in menus like kind of watching combat go down, uh, tell them when to use their limit breaks, when to use their bigger attacks, when to use spells and stuff like that. So if you want a a more tactical, like less real-time kind of action thing, then it's got that mode. I haven't played it with it yet. Um, It also, when you do that, sets the enemy difficulty to easy mode, which is kind of weird um but i was like okay uh so i'll 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 toy with it at some point and just see kind of how it plays uh, cuz i am curious about you know how it plays and if it's any different than what it sounds like on the outside um but like i've i feel like it's still just like a good mishmash you know uh it it feels like its own thing it doesn't feel like final fantasy 13 uh it's nice, uh, you can still switch between characters, which was the biggest issue with Final Fantasy XIII's combat.
1: Okay, so you can switch from Cloud to Barrett to Tifa.
0: Yeah. So on um, and so forth. Yeah, I don't know how big your party gets. So, uh, the, the first hour is actually just, uh, the Mako reactor, uh, right at the start of the game. Um, if you remember that part, I think it was like 10 or 20 minutes in the original, and now it took me about an hour, and, uh, so it's everything is just kind of extended out a little bit there's more dialogue going on you know uh there's more characterization in some of the side characters uh, too uh which is really cool because um, like i feel like in the hour i've played i've got to know jesse's character like way better than you ever did in the original um and she's like this kind of sassy Chick, she seems to have a thing for Cloud, which I didn't feel like came out in the original. I'm like, huh, oh, that, like that a... totally came out in the original, did it? Yeah, okay. I haven't we played said. it in long enough that I'm like, uh, maybe it did. Maybe a lot of this feels like it's the old dialogue, but it's been long enough since I've actually played the original that I don't remember exactly what the old dialogue was, so I'm like, huh. Um, so, but I, I feel like everything is just amped up a little more, if no, for no other reason than because the animations are so clean, all of the models are so expressive, and the voice acting is just freaking amazing.
1: So one thing I am really hoping they keep uh, in the remake, since I have yet to play the remake and haven't looked at it too closely, is kind of just the wacky just oddness about, a game that didn't get carried through to a lot of the relate really other related properties. Uh-huh. Kind of like, a, you know, Cloud, cloud uh, yelling at the finger that was pointing him out on screen.
0: Right. <laughs> There's no finger anymore. Oh. <laughs> so, that probably won't happen. I was kind of thinking that, though, like, because... This has taken a so far more of the approach where it's like everything's a little bit more cinematic. It it blends really seamlessly into cutscenes and stuff, which is great. Um, and uh, but one of the things that I noticed is that like it uh, it doesn't give you like you're you're not clicking through dialogue. You're kind of watching it unfold. So I'm wondering like uh, are any of the dialogue choices that are in the original like can you. Uh, I remember there's one dialogue option when you first meet Eris that you can be like, oh, yeah, I remember you. You were selling flowers. Or your other dialogue is like, oh, yeah, you're that drug chick from the slums. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, I wonder if those kinds of things are in there, too. So it's kind of a lot. I episode. really hope they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something about that, but yeah, and just above all, really, what my impression has been is this is the best-looking game I have ever played. And I'm not even playing on PS4 Pro, I'm playing a regular PS4. I'm like, man, how great would this look in 4K? Uh, Like, I was kind of thinking Death Stranding was, like, one of the greatest... Uh, graphical powerhouse games I've ever seen, but now this is, like, I feel like just blown Death Stranding out of the water for that. Um, not that Death Stranding has anything, like, particularly wrong with it, but I feel like the amount of photo re- photorealism that Death Stranding was going for was kind of, like, hindered it a little bit, because they wanted to put it into that photorealistic perfection kind of style, uh, where Final Fantasy VII is like going for a photorealistic ish style, but it's still stylized enough that like you don't notice every little imperfection in the animation. You know,
1: it's like they put a they they actually went the aesthetic route as opposed to just making things as realistic as possible.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, like most things look pretty freaking realistic, so it's like. Again, it's like some magical... How did they combine these two ideas and, and make it work? I don't know, but it's, it's fucking amazing. 100 gigs of my hard drive well spent. <clears throat> that margarita is okay. Um. So we raid our booze on this show also. Although we forgot. I spilled some. I had to suck it off the table. Mmm that's it's not it's uh, not a bad margarita I feel like I'm just spoiled on my cheap ass like pretty good margaritas um I'm gonna give this uh 12 this is fine this is a fine margarita uh what are you still sitting at on your uh, left hand
1: uh, I'd still sit at around a 15 or a 14. still definitely my go-to
0: mmm that's a good one all right, next is a kind of a funny... Uh, oh, I, I haven't updated this. Uh, since I believe I wrote this, uh, I believe this game has been put back on the eShop. Uh, I'm not totally sure. But Cooking Mama Cookstar was pulled from the Nintendo eShop after about an hour after launch. Um, the developer was allegedly mining Bitcoin from users. Uh, the statement... Uh, from the developer was that they made it in Unity and it was made by a team of people who had mostly never made a game before and they claim it's uh, some sort of quality control issue from the higher-ups is why it was pulled. So I don't know. Like, There's some wording that sounds like somehow you can like use Bitcoin or other digital currency in the game and maybe do something... I don't understand exactly. I Like, I read several articles on this, and I was just like, where are you getting exactly the terms uh, you're mining Bitcoin? But I just think it's, like, hilarious that there's this big controversy over, of all fucking things, Cooking Mama. And the, the joke
1: is, I think, that someone mentioned blockchain at some point in relation to this game, and uh, everyone jumped on it, to say, oh, this game is mining Bitcoin, and right. no, that's not the case. That's uh, that's just not true. Yeah, uh, at least not based on what I've read about this. Uh, if they if they were mining Bitcoin, that would be that that would they would be in seriously deep
0: shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I feel like we probably would have heard about this if there was an actual, like, court case. It's funny, though, because some of the tweets that I originally read were like, oh, yeah, there's a court case. They're under a lawsuit for mining Bitcoin. I'm like, they were out for an hour. How could they be under, like, that? And 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 then I, like, looked at other sources and, like, some sources said <laughs> that they were uh, mining Bitcoin and there was the, the, the actual lawsuit – and others didn't and i was like okay i can't find anything specific to back that up so i'm calling bullshit but i'm like i'm still just like i forgot about cooking mama at all like i haven't heard about that series since like the second one i because i think there was one on original ds and one on wii and i i was looking at it a little i think there's been a few here and there but Those are the last times I heard about it, and now I'm hearing about it under this huge controversy. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Next piece of news is uh, the ESA has announced a reimagined E3 coming June 15 to 17, 2021. So that's kind of cool.
1: So I I gotta wonder what they're. (laughs) I, I gotta wonder if it's gonna be more different than what E3 would look like this year.
0: Yeah, because um, I feel like the idea that I kind of had in my head was that E3 was going to be exactly the same-ish thing this year, but now that they're taking a break and they've had all these problems with their um, like head staff that are doing you know all the planning and stuff, I'm like, are they just taking a step back, kind of reassessing what they want E3 to be? because they're now announcing it as a reimagined E3 and I'm like okay that 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 might actually be a thing cuz they've but, a lot of the media that have been there have been just like not as interested in it in recent years and uh, a lot of the developers are pulling out you know it's, it's like it's no longer it's almost the just a Nintendo show that anymore that it was yeah
1: it's it's like there's pics now uh, to compete with it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and it's like, from my perspective, I feel like E3 almost became like the one reliable time of year that we knew there was going to be a Nintendo Direct. And that that was about all that it did anymore. And it's like everybody else... A lot of other developers were switching to these digital kind of events just to save money from flying out a million people. You know, they'd fly out enough people or whatever to hold a little conference, maybe, and, you know, set up their booth. And then and they'd call it good, is almost what it felt like. And I felt like that was going to get, like, even worse as it went. I feel like it's almost become Nintendo's show at this point, especially with the big ones, Sony dropping out. And Microsoft was... Um, not going to have a any kind of physical presence there this year, even if they hadn't canceled. Uh, so they were going to do, like, E3-related stuff, uh, you know, a digital event, and then I think, actually, they were doing, like, their own kind of physical event, like, down the road or something. So it's like, that's kind of a giant middle finger to E3 anyway. So I'm like, eh, how long can they keep this up with, you know, one of the... Big three representing still.
1: Yeah, that seems like kind of a death knell for something like this. Mm-hmm. So I got. I guess my only question is, what does reimagined mean?
0: Yeah, um, because I'm like, it could mean a lot of things. I guess they could, you know, go to an all digital kind of a thing, but that would almost kind of defeat the point of E three. Maybe, cause then it's like, okay, why isn't it? Why am I not just watching the Game Awards? And then I feel like the problem is gonna be like the same thing that is the problem that everybody has with the Game Awards is that there's gonna be ten billion ads, um, which I don't mind that much, uh, but it's like a lot of the ads are like not necessarily related and they get repetitive because they they handle ads weird at the Game Awards. Um, so I don't know. Um, cause that's, that's this whole big digital event with it's, it's like, you know, there's a show with like some people in the room to get the awards, but like mostly it's a digital event. Right. So I'm like, they could do that, but I don't really see them doing that. I feel like to be E3, it has to be a physical event somehow, but I also don't really know how they could get all these developers to come back on board.
1: Yeah. It seems like this is
0: bad news for e3. Mhm. All right, you want to hit the uh, next um, news and booze there.
1: So I did mention Sea of Stars as a uh, Chrono Trigger like game being kickstarted last podcast, but yeah. what they announced not too long after that was that they're having Yasunori Mitsuda, the composer from Chrono Trigger join as a guest composer.
0: Yeah, so which that's is like just amazing.
1: Fucking awesome.
0: Right? It's like, hey, we're making a tribute to, you know, this, and we're getting... <laughs> that's is insane. The actual uh, person from the game that they're trying to make a spiritual successor for is coming on board. That's fucking crazy. Um, and uh, they're, it's also worth noting that they're... It's probably interesting, maybe not to
1: listeners, but uh, at least probably me and Sean, that the, uh, their current composer is based out of the city we're based
0: out of so yeah that's pretty cool um yeah and uh i actually uh ended up seeing a trailer for that uh, and i looked over their whole kickstarter thing i thought this was so cool i actually backed them too um and um as of the time that i last looked they were just over five hundred thousand dollars which is about 750 canadian uh which is over five times their original goal Um, And they also announced that their final stretch goal was at that $750,000 mark for Canadian. uh, And it was that they would give the DLC for this game free to any backers who got a copy of the game. Uh, So you got uh, eight days left, so you can go hit this up uh, if you want to get the DLC for free and get your name in as a backer in the credits. Uh, you can go head over to Kickstarter, check them out. Um, they've got tons of other kinds of reward tiers, too. You can check them out for yourself. So this, this just looks like an incredible game, too. I was actually, uh, when I realized that this was from the developer of, uh, what's their other game called? Uh, uh, gosh, now I can't remember it. Uh, but the other game they made uh, looks really a lot like Ninja Gaiden. Um, the Messenger. And like I've seen the trailer for this like a million times, and I've just been like, oh my god, I need this. It's like Ninja Gaiden, but it's like even crazier, you know, just ninja shit kind of going on. But at the same time, still like Ninja Gaideny. I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the Messenger too, probably soon here, maybe. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know. I just bought Final Fantasy, so probably not immediately. But I'm just like, I've been kind of wanting a Messenger for a long time anyway. Heard nothing but good things. And now they're just like, oh, hey, we're making this sweet, awesome-looking JRPG. I'm like, okay, got got it. Okay, you, you guys. Are cool. And
1: looking at the messenger, and I, I want to say that the pixel art looks probably on par with, say, something like Shovel Knight.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, it looks and, really uh, good.
1: Sea of Stars is ju- is looks
0: like a prettier Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, not that Chrono Trigger is, is bad, but Chrono Trigger had a lot more limited hardware. Uh, so yeah. now it's like just like Chrono Trigger with a modern, fresh coat of paint.
1: Yeah, that's 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 what I would describe it as. Yeah. I'd um, agree with that description of it.
0: Look out! Look up Sea of Stars on Kickstarter now, and you can get the DLC if you back them uh, right now for a physical, or not even for a physical copy, even for the digital copy. But uh, anyways. Uh, Sony revealed their PlayStation 5 DualSense controller. That's the theme it, music that I use for some stuff, and sometimes I don't.
1: Uh, it does look, uh, it does look pretty strange to me. Yeah, but it actually kind of looks like they designed it more to fit into someone's hand, too.
0: Right, um, so,
1: despite looking kind of weird, I actually like the design a little
0: better. Yeah, I, I like the design from, like, looking at it and how you would hold it. I feel like it looks like a comfortable controller, except for my one gripe of PlayStation always putting the thumbstick in the wrong place. It's like, okay, Nintendo's got it now, Xbox has it for, like, forever. Could, could, could just switch the D-pad and the fucking thumbstick already, Right. <laughs> so, that that's, that's my one right but I, I don't think playstation will ever switch those because they're like too deep in now they're like no this is part of the playstation thing right so i'm like whatever I t- I'll, I'll take it i don't care that much um, they could
1: switch it and it wouldn't it wouldn't break anything you yeah. wouldn't even break at backwards compatibility because you're just
0: switching the places of right yeah you still things. have the same buttons they're just in a different place it's like using the you know the second series xbox controllers as opposed to the original xbox controllers you know. Uh, Actually, I liked the original uh, Xbox controller better with the black-and-white button placement. Remember the black-and-white buttons?
1: Probably not. You
0: didn't have an Xbox, did you?
1: I didn't have an Xbox, but I had plenty of opportunity to play with the original Xbox at friends' places.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, I felt like the black and white buttons were, like, much better laid out kind of on the original, where they were kind of above the A, B, X, Y, and where they were below. I felt like it was always kind of weird to reach down there for them. Um, and then everybody just decided, oh, hold on, what if everybody in the world has four shoulder buttons, and now that's just regular on every video game controller, and it's like, okay, whatever, who, who the fuck cares? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it, I, I do think it looks a little weird, uh, just being, like, black and white. I'm like, it doesn't look like any game controller that's ever been, I don't think there's ever been a black and white, like, two-tone controller exactly like this before, and I'm not sure if that's, I, I don't, I don't think that matters all that much, but I just think it looks kind of weird. I think it's someone, funny, though, that, like, a whole, someone go ahead. did
1: say that it looks like a bra?
0: Yes, uh, that was, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Andre Seegers from Game Explain. So check out their podcast if you're bored with ours. They have, you know, like a, a quality podcast with like <laughs> budgets. Professionals. Yeah. Editing. Yeah. What What the fuck's editing? Is that what other people do when I drink a beer?
1: Yeah, it's. <laughs> you know that thing when you pause the podcast sometimes and then you resume the podcast?
0: Yeah, well, no they reason. do
1: that, but with a computer instead of pausing it.
0: Right. Yeah, and they can cut out like stuff that they don't want in, and I'm just like, I want everything in. That's why we're having this conversation is so that every snippet of it can work its way in. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, no, they they do have a quality podcast. I like them. I like their YouTube channel, so check them out. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he was like, it looks like a bra, and I was like, oh my god, I can't unsee it. <laughs> Those thumbsticks or nipples. Uh, doodle, doodle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it looks fine, but um, weird. So that's, that's pretty much that. Um, and you want to go over this uh, last one? Yeah, I, I always got to bring
1: up like the depressing or
0: angry-making news. Uh, Gearbox royally I fucks their workers uh, by reneging on their profit-sharing
1: deal, cutting much. Uh, smaller checks to their developers than their developers were promised.
0: Lame. Uh,
1: Even after record sales of Borderlands 3. Yeah. So, well, what they... I I don't know whether what they did was uh, technically legal or not, but it's definitely a major dick move.
0: Right, yeah. It's like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks for, you know, kicking that guy in the nuts, and then you kick him in the nuts, and they hand you a fiver. What the fuck? Dicks... It's greed. Yeah, It's just greed. Yeah, so that's kind of lame. Um, I haven't actually played a Borderlands game in a long time. I played Borderlands 1 for a while and 2 for like not as long. Uh, I don't know, just 2 never stuck with me the way 1 did. 1 was like really fun like couch co-op back on Xbox 360. Uh, and that was pretty much uh, all of the Borderlands I played was like, like, I have no idea what the story is or this really anything about it. All I remember is like getting together with my brothers and killing a bunch of bad guys, and I had no idea why the fuck we were killing all these bad guys, but we were killing a bunch of bad guys. And
1: the way I remember having it described was uh, basically Diablo, but as a FPS.
0: Huh. I didn't get that at all, but again, I had had no idea where we were going. I just followed my brothers, like, wherever. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, you lead. I'll just just kill stuff. (laughs) I played, like, this big (laughs) hulky guy. I had, like, a rage ability. I could, like punch people into the ground, like, you, when you get the, uh, Berserk in Doom, was basically my character's ability. So it was, like, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And then, I feel like, just Borderlands 2, we played, like, we were like, oh yeah, we got another Borderlands, and it was, like, just, just didn't draw the same somehow, I'm not sure. I don't remember it being so, bad, but it was, like, meh. So I played
1: only a very little bit of Borderlands, and just ended up not being my thing. A little bit of Borderlands 2, I mean. Right. Uh,
0: you don't play a lot of shooters anyways, do you?
1: No. most. Uh, I, I've said this before, but most shooters make me nauseous. Yeah. I either have to play them in a windowed mode or play them with the FPS slider. Oh. Uh, the FOV slider turned up to maximum, so I get a real fisheye view. Wow. Oh. Uh But games like Half-Life and Half-Life 2, a lot of the Source Engine games, if I try and play them, uh, if I play them for more than, say, 15 minutes, I will feel like throwing up.
0: Mm Hmm. Lame. That was a terrible character flaw to pick when you created your character. Yeah, I thought so. Alright. Well, anyways, um... Today we're gonna do our video game topic. We've been doing our table topic first for a little while, so we're gonna do video game topic first again today uh, because it is Good Friday today. Um, I thought about doing like an Easter themed drink, and then I couldn't find anything that like sounded interesting. As like I could do something with a raw egg again, but like eh, whatever. Um, so I did I did I did a metal margarita instead. Um, anyways, it's Good Friday, so we're gonna talk about good games, not great, just good, just like games that were like. Yeah, that was good. But is not gonna break records.
1: So I guess what the way I feel about this is I'm like it, I feel like my how I appreciate games is I either think it's great or I'm like, oh that was you know, that was like competently executed but mm-hmm. it didn't do that much for me. Uh-huh. And there's not a lot of in-between. There's not something where I'm like, I en- I enjoyed this, but... Yeah. Uh, so, when I think about... There, there, there's very games few games I would categorize as good without dropping down into competent, but I didn't really like it. Or where I'd say, yeah, it, yeah, it had its flaws which Mm -hmm. I guess is the other thing you could go for, but I really loved it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but do you have a game in particular you were thinking of kicking Uh, off with?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, the last one that I played that kind of gave me this feeling was Rage 2, which I really, I like it, But it's just got, like, a lot of weird kind of quirks that are, like, some of them are, like, really add to it, and some of them are just, like, don't work as well as I think they should. Because, basically, I really love the idea of it's a first-person Doom-like shooter with lots of crazy, gory violence, but it's an open world and it's huge exploration and i'm like oh my god this is like amazing uh so i like went in day one and i got the uh wing stick edition um which comes with a wing stick which is funny and yeah uh, we've been over that on a previous podcast but that anyways it's like uh yeah it's it's a fun game and i really love you know just going and blowing up all these guys in the in the game uh but it's, it's a little repetitive. You know, after a certain point, you're going into bandit camps and killing all the bandits and going into Whoa. another place and doing very samey quests, really. Uh, it's kind of what it boils down to. And, like, you can do the main story... Uh, but there's always stuff to do along the way, and it's like, oh, as long as I'm passing this, it feels like I should do this along the way, you know? Uh, get some money, get some, you know, experience points or whatever, you know, upgrade my weapons and cars and stuff. Um, but after a while, it's just like, okay, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've seen everything that this game has to offer for the most part. And I'm like halfway through the story, maybe, probably. Um, and it's, like, it's still good. And I think I still will go back to it eventually and, like, finish out the story. Uh, and there's, like, there's still, like, new stuff to see a little bit. Because I don't have all the guns. And I don't have all the, uh, you get, like, these abilities, um, that you can do. That, like, one of them, like, uh, creates a force shield that you can hide behind as cover and stuff. And, uh, one of them will, like, uh... Uh, like, you kind of jet towards uh, an enemy and, like, insta-kill him or something. I forget what all they do. But it's, like... These are kind of the collectibles around the world will give you, like, power-ups like that that you can equip and use. And the, the other collectibles are obviously the guns. So I'm, like... It's kind of cool that it like it gives you kind of where these are on the map. So you can just be like, okay, there's a rocket launcher here. I want to go there. But also, then you're kind of planning out because you're like, oh, I'm going to be in that area. That's close to maybe these points where I could get some upgrades and this story quest. So I'll go kind of, you know, a little bit around wherever and just kind of explore in the middle of there. Um, and exploration is fun. I really like the exploration, but it doesn't feel like there's a point to it, you know? And I don't think it needs a point.
1: So it's like, you can explore, but you're not really getting much out of it?
0: Yeah, because it's like, I feel like there's a lot of world between, like, each town and each bandit camp and each dungeon-like thing where you get your upgrades and your new guns, but none of it is important. Like, if it's not marked on the map, it's unimportant. And I feel like that's kind of a hard thing to make, but, you know, there's games that do it. Like, in a post-Breath of the Wild world, it's like, it's just hard to go into anything where it's like, there's, like, I feel like everything in Breath of the Wild is important for some reason or another. Whether it's, like, a farming spot, there's a Korok seed, there's an upgrade, there's treasure to find... There's uh, just a random Bokoblin camp. That sure, why not? Or there's like a very odd and obscure reference to some other Zelda game, right? One of those is present in every square inch of the map in Breath of the Wild. So, like, I feel like maybe it was partially just going to another open world game after that. Breath of the
1: Wild's pretty remarkable for open world games.
0: Yeah so much of it is so detailed Mm. like that, so the exploration always feels
1: rewarding Mm. it always feels like you're seeing something new which is not the case with a lot
0: of games Mm.
1: Uh, so I guess what i bottom line ask you is how how do you feel about Rage 2?
0: I still like it um, like I said, I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to probably beat it. You know, one of these days, once I'm done with some of the other games, I want to come back and I want to beat it. Uh, so I, I'm not that invested in the story. Like I like doing the story because the missions are more interesting than like killing a bunch of bandits in a camp. Um, cause the story missions is where it kind of changes things up where it's like, okay, you've got, uh, slightly different objectives. You've got cool bosses and stuff like that. Uh, so the story missions are really good but the story itself is just like ah, some bad guys came and, they, and they, they're they they fighting us and, and ah, I'm like I don't actually even know what's going on in the story I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm supposed to go get some MacGuffins from these three guys got it okay cool I do like that it's presented in a nonlinear way because it kind of is like yeah go get the MacGuffins from the three guys um, and then it's just like, here they are on your map, have at the world. And I, I think that is fucking awesome. I think that is one of the best things uh, game designers can do is just give you the freedom to do stuff in whatever order you want. Um, but, you know, it's just all the in-betweeny stuff is so meh. It's like, it's good, but it's like meh. Okay.
1: So your your definition of good but not great games would be like a game you kind of like, like, but it's like, if the game didn't exist, would you really care? If the game was out of, did not exist in the world, would you feel like the world was less for it?
0: Yeah, something like that, I think. And and it doesn't have to be a game that you like or dislike, but it. Can, I feel like, because it can be either, I feel like most of the games on my list are going to be like, yeah, I liked them. But, you know, not, not anything further than that. And some of them I'm going to be like, yeah, they were just like meh. Okay. So.
1: I do, I have an example of Mac games or what I'd call maybe a series of Mac games. Uh-huh. And they are direct Nintendo properties. Cool. They are the new Super Mario Bros.
0: series of oh games. Oh my God, that is perfect for this topic. How did I not think about that? <laughs> <laughs> But, unlike, we played the original new yeah. Super Mario Wii together in like an afternoon, didn't we? Uh, like, Pre- long as. Pretty after much. Up. Yeah, and we just kind of sat down with four guys and just kind of grinded it out. And it was like. Yeah, that was. Like, it was fun. I, I'm not mad that we, you know, used our afternoon doing that. But I feel like it was like not more than two days that we played this game. And we were done with yeah. it. Yeah. And
1: it's. It's not like the old Mario games where they were kind of the ones that originated a lot of those things. Uh, It's more like you look at, say, a game like Super Mario Maker or Super Mario Maker 2. Yeah. And I'm definitely not shitting on those games. Right. Uh, But I'm like, the level editors of Super Mario Maker or Super Mario Maker 2 could probably put together these levels, you could probably play to play levels of equivalent or better quality uh, that some random person had made online with those games.
0: Like, I got Super Mario Maker 2 last week for my kid for his birthday, and I will tell you right now that the story levels in Super Mario Maker 2 blow New Super Mario Bros. Wii and New Super Mario Brothers you both just completely out of the water they're so much clever better clever design in levels and and like because i feel like the point of the levels in the story mode are to be like here are the mechanics that you can use in the level editor because basically the point of the game is to use the level editor to make your own levels and play weird other levels that people have made right and the story levels are all like, here's the mechanic for the on-off switch. Here's the mechanic for this. Here's the mechanic for that. And they, because they're all designed off of one mechanic for the entire level, basically, somehow that makes them more interesting than the new Super Mario Bros. levels that don't really have any mechanics, right? It's like, you've. I feel like the only mechanics there are, like, jump and... Tanuki suit and uh, there's occasionally those things where you have to like they're like the balancing beams where you like have to move the wii remote to change the position of the platform and that's about all of the mechanics in suit new super mario brothers right am i missing anything
1: (laughs) uh not that i can think of
0: yeah but it's like then like So imagine if you designed an entire level off of those moving platforms, right? Or something like that. That's kind of how these all are. Because it's like, okay, here's an on-off switch which makes red blocks disappear and blue blocks appear, right? So every time you hit it, it changes the positions of all of the platforms in the level. And you have to figure out what combination of on-off switches to hit while you're kind of going through the level. And it's just like these kind of little ideas that they're taking and then building off of are you know by the end of it it's like you've gone through so many kind of creative ideas that it's like okay i've got some ideas from what they've done and i've got some ideas of my own and then when you go online and play levels it is not even fucking close it is so much there are so many crazy levels online you know there's some of them, yeah. like they're not all great. Some of them are duds, uh, but like you. Oh, all of them and, are duds.
1: That's, but, that's just the nature of community. Yeah, but like a lot content. of the,
0: a lot of them are like people really take time to make really good levels. Uh, they've got themes of them. Um, you know, I've seen like uh, Super Meat Boy themed levels. There's a lot of new Zelda themed levels now that you can actually become Link in Super Mario Maker 2 with one of the <laughs> items they put in. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. There's so much potential here. Uh, so, like, yeah. I feel like that's how you make a great Mario game, because, like, even just playing the story levels in Super Mario Maker 2 is so much more fun than the story levels in either of the Super Mario, new Super Mario Brothers games that i played.
1: Yeah. So, after we've shit upon the, uh, new Super Mario Brothers series as a whole, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I want to point out that the reason they're on the good list is that they're competently made. Yeah.
0: It, it's I mean, like, like, like oh, yeah, there's, we, there's they, no major bugs. They, they feel fun. like, they, you know, we had a ton of fun, like just playing couch co-op for a couple of, you know, afternoons or whatever, you know, yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. Cause even if they weren't like standout, amazing games, they were like, we still had fun jumping on each other's noggins, knocking each other into the fucking lava and the thwomps and all that, you know. I th- I feel like they were good for that concept, if nothing else. Because <clears throat> four-player Mario, who doesn't love that, right? Even if it's not yeah. great four-player Mario, it's still four-player Mario. What you going to complain about, yeah. right? <laughs>
1: Issue, yeah, the main issue with the game is it just feels like, uh, eight worlds of Mario levels that are filler.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good way of putting it, because it's, it's so, weird, like, because I, I kind of played this game, uh, or both of these games, and they were, like, pretty much the only platformers I played for a long time, because I'm not a huge platformer guy, but I'll, I'll have fun with a platformer sometime. And then, like, I really didn't play any platformers between those two new Super Mario Brothers games. And then uh, when Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze came to Switch, I got the Switch version of that. And I was just like, oh my god! These can be so amazing! I forgot! <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it's another good game I liked that, um, I was going to go with, um, Alone in the Dark. I don't know if you played this one. It was on Xbox 360. uh, I did not. Yeah, and it was, uh, I believe it was part of a series that, uh, came about before that, but I never, I only played the Xbox 360 one, so I think it was like a, kind of a reimagining of some old NES game or something. I'm not sure uh, I, I I looked it up at the time and then I've now I've since completely forgot and I feel like it was like the worst titled game ever because you're not alone you're in a party of three people for almost the entire game I'm like why is it called alone in the dark you're not alone I'm like I was kind of, I kind of like bought this on a whim because it was back in high school and I was like oh look a game came out I'll, I'll drop money on that because I have a disposable income so But it was fine. It was like uh, this kind of uh, action-y, you know, maybe a little bit stealthy, but not that much. It was kind of like The Last of Us, but worse. (coughs) Uh, Yeah, it was like some kind of zombies or monsters or something. I don't really remember. And you're with this old guy and this chick. And, uh, yeah. And it's like... It was, it was called Alone in the Dark, so I really thought that the darkness would be, like, much more of a prevalent issue, but it really wasn't. It was more action-y than The Last of Us. I guess that's not a great comparison, because uh, it was a lot more action-y.
2: The Last of Us is a terrible game to start playing during a pandemic. That is all.
1: Or it's a great game to start playing during a pandemic. That's that's kind of... It true. really depends on your perspective.
0: Right, yeah, I'm just like, dude, it's so much like what's going on now, except for, like, if it got way worse and zombies.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'd have a lot more fun during the fucking apocalypse if I could blow people's heads off.
0: Right? Who wouldn't? Anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, I so. do
2: that to some of my customers today, for sure.
0: Hmm. I won't tell them which ones.
2: Oh my God!
1: <laughs> the ones that touch me, Karen. Oh. Karen. Yeah. Plural. Oh.
0: That—that's a. Uh...
1: I have many of those. <laughs> I work in a very fancy neighborhood.
0: Nice. Anywho, uh, the today's second beer of the week is Oasis Red Ale, which um. I wasn't sure who exactly this was, because it just says Oasis on the label, and I was like, who is this? Is this Oasis Brewery? Never heard of them. Uh, But apparently it's Crazy Mountain Brewing, which (coughs) is uh, right here in Colorado somewhere. I don't remember where they are. Um, But this is actually pretty good. It's like uh, the the theme of the bottle is all, like, Egyptian. It's like Oasis is in, like, these almost kind of uh, calligraphy-style letters. It's got, like, little... um, Which I'm going to call it pictographs for the letters. What are those called? Hieroglyphics. Um, And yeah, uh, so this is pretty cool. Little bottle art here. I kind of dig that uh, just for that. Um, And as a red ale, it's actually kind of interesting. It doesn't taste like a red. Like if I just tasted this uh, without reading the label, I would assume it's a porter. It's really malty um just enough hop to kind of get my mouth watering a little uh so it's it's not like imbalanced but it's a, it's a, it's a very dark heavier feeling uh red so that's that's pretty good mm. yeah cuz it, it really has that almost the mouth feel of a of a porter not like the heaviest like stout heavy porter or anything but like a it's got enough of a good mouth feel that it doesn't feel like a red um that's
1: yeah interesting Mm. not usually much for reds
0: yeah um i like them pretty well generally usually i look for them because they're a nice kind of balance if you're looking for like something with a little hops you you know you're not like on a oh my god i need all the malt kind of kick uh so i i feel like they're a good kind of middle ground beer um but um, this one is really definitely leading towards that heavier, uh, maltier end of the spectrum. So, yeah, I'm gonna give that another taste and mm, give that a good 15. That's a that's a very very tasty beer. Mm, cool. You got any more good games there, Chris? Uh, I'm trying to think of a game that breaks the trend of uh,
1: that breaks the trend of competently executed, but we can't like ourselves up for it. Right. I'm looking more into the second category of uh, what I'd say flawed games, mm-hmm. but we li- love them anyway. Yeah. And I, the only game that keeps coming to mind is Night's Journey into Dreams.
2: Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, which was the
1: sequel to Nights into Dreams that came out for Wii.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I didn't know about that one. I played uh, the original one with you a handful of times on Dreamcast.
2: On Sega Saturn?
0: Um, I felt like it was on Dreamcast, but it might have been Saturn. I don't remember. It's been a while. Yeah. Hmm. Uh,
1: but this game is definitely it's definitely a sonic team came from that era. So, you know, it has a lot of those flaws.
0: Yeah. That could be an issue.
1: Uh, there's a lot of things I find frustrating with it, Mm -hmm. but I still happen to like it just because of the things it does. Right. Which is a lot of the flying and boss levels. Uh, and kind of executing on that weird dream-like feel. Uh-huh. So it's it's a game. It's a game I would say I'm I like, but I don't think was terribly well designed or executed.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a fair kind of assessment there. Um, that can, I because f- I feel like that sort of a. I actually just remembered off of that uh, game that uh we played uh, for not very long but uh cuz we uh uh at some point went through Tales of Symphonia on a big co-op thing we uh did a like the whole game through i think uh and um then later we were all like super hyped when Tales of Symphonia got a sequel on Wii and i feel like it was exactly the same scenario there where it's like it's on Wii and it's just not good. <laughs> it's so f- that one I feel like was so flawed that it was, like, almost not worth playing. Though, like, I'm I'm kind of sad I bought, you know, paid money yeah, for.
1: it. it kind of had a... I I can't even work up positive feelings for Dawn of a New World.
0: Yeah. Um, Whereas no.
1: I can still feel kind of positively about Journey into Dreams.
0: Yeah.
1: Even though I I realize it had a lot of
0: flaws. Yeah, so I feel like they're almost kind of the same category, but they're like the opposite sort of part of the category. I I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, because Dawn of the New World was like... The combat was fun. It still felt like Tales of Symphonia, except for you could only control one character, and you could only have one co-op partner instead of three, and that co-op partner could not control the other character in your party because you always had two characters in your party at least but only player one could control <laughs> them and instead the second player could only control like monsters that you could capture in like some sort of a weird uh Tensei strange journey kind of uh, uh, I, style I where I it's it was, like oh here's a here's a monster I'm just gonna I think it was
1: different than even that budget. I think it was there were two main char- characters. Yeah. Uh, and player one could control one, and player two could control the other. And then you, you had, like, the monster capturing thing. Right. But uh, you couldn't include more players with that. They were just AI-controlled.
0: Right. So I thought less. one of the players had to control the monsters, and it was, like, super lame. Yeah. And especially when you got, like... There's people traveling with you. Like, I think, like, there's, like, this uh, cool badass guy. I think his name was Richter, and he looks like Kratos. And you're like, oh, maybe he's, like, related to Kratos, or, or Kratos, I guess it was. Kratos is God of War. Kratos is Tales of Symphonia. That's how that works. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, okay, he's in our party. Why can't he fight? No, it's only Emil, the whiny bitch, and Marta, the person who inexplicably is in love with the whiny bitch this is your party and some monsters and it's like why why and it's so weird too because it's like at the start of the game lloyd who's the good guy from the old game like blows up a village and burns it to the ground and kills everybody there and like as far as you can tell there's no reason for it and like as long as i play it it's just like giving me no reason it's like why has he done this what's going on what And it is just, like, trying to do its own story and almost, like, trying to avoid talking about Lloyd and why he did this. And, like, okay, like, if you know Lloyd, you know, he would not just do this unless there was some justification. And even then, it would be, like, a real dire earth-shattering emergency or something, right?
1: So I I think uh, Dawn of a New World, Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of a New World qualifies as, like, a mediocre game.
0: Yeah, I'm okay. not sure I would lump that in as a good game. <laughs> Cause it's yeah. like the combat was fine if you were player one. And that that would that was its quality. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> Nothing else and, was good.
1: And also the voice actors were different. It's a minor thing, but
0: That was weird, be a yeah. Because it's like they had actually some really big voice actors in Tales of Symphonia, and then in the sequel, it's just like, it felt like a straight-to-video Disney sequel of <laughs> Tales of Symphonia. That is what it was. It was like the fucking... That's exactly It's what like, it was. you go to Walmart, and you're too cheap to buy SpaghettiOs, so you buy good value spaghetti rings. That's, that's what you're getting when you buy no Dawn of the New World.
1: Spaghetti circle shapes were too cheap to say the word O's.
0: Yeah, right? (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Another one that I did like that I would call good is actually one that a lot of people shit on. um, Is Metroid Other M. Again, for Wii, somehow.
1: So it was one of those Team Ninja games.
0: Yeah. um, So what I kind of look at this as is I'm just like the story I will give you was the worst story Metroid has ever had. Was one of the worst stories any video game has ever had. Like, Dawn of the New World is under this, but not much else, right? Final Fantasy Thirteen is probably under this, but not much else. Um, but this one was like, okay, so it's got a shit story, but I felt like everything else was like fine. Uh, the graphics were okay for the time. I don't remember them being like, Oh my god, it's amazing. But it was like, they were good. And um, the gameplay, I thought, was actually really more what I thought a 3D Metroid should be rather than a first-person shooter. Because it felt like you're still kind of exploring all these interconnecting corridors and doing the same kind of backtracking and looking around. And it's, it, the exploration felt like a 2D Metroid game, but it was in a fully 3D world. And I thought that was great. I thought, actually, as a successor to the 2D Metroids, I felt like, gameplay-wise, it did a better job than Metroid Prime. And I know a lot of people are probably going to want to crucify me now. (laughs) I think Metroid Prime was a better game, but I feel like Other M was a better successor to Metroid.
1: It had more of the uh, Metroidvania-style gameplay. Yeah.
0: Because Metroid Prime kind of did its own thing. It's like it did a little bit of Metroidvania with kind of exploring the same worlds. You know, once you got the upgrades, you're like, okay, now I can go back here and use the freeze beam on that and use my double jump over here. Stuff like that. So it it adds some of those same kind of things. But it was a lot more uh, action-focused when you got into the big boss fights in these big 3D spaces. And it was a lot more kind of detective-focused where you're like... Where do I go next? I'll use my scanning visor to see what's going on here, and 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 also that kind of gave you a little bit of lore into what's going on. And so I'm like, that's, that's this whole other thing. It's a completely different game. It's fucking amazing, but I didn't feel like it was Metroid. So that's kind of where I am. Um, other Mvo was like everything metroid did but suddenly now it's 3d i felt like it was the ocarina of time of metroid games except the story was fucking shit
1: oh man you are going to get crucified for that comment
0: yeah i am (laughs) that's okay maybe we'll gain like followers that are just like following me to like be like oh man he's gonna talk up other m again because I feel like I'm well, the only person in the entire world that likes Other M. Like, every time and, I see a tweet about Other M or anything about it, it's just like, this game was the worst. It's so terrible. I'd rather play Link's Crossbow Training. I don't like,
1: really know Other M by reputation. Uh huh. I never, I never played it myself. And the thing I heard people hating it for was basically the story and how it cast Samus.
0: Yeah, um, the story was, like, I wasn't even, like, hardly paying attention. My biggest issue with the story is that Samus is kind of, like, paying attention to this random mass Admiral guy the entire time, who's like, oh, you can't use your missiles here, you can't use yours. So, the, in the story, you've, like, you've got all of your power-ups, but you can't use them. It's not like other Metroid games where it's like you just go through the corridors until you find the missiles, until you find the charge beam, th- this stuff. It's like, no, the the Admiral has to give you permission to use it. It's like, that is an even weaker excuse than license points in Final Fantasy XII. Right? <laughs> Fucking silly.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, it's... I actually like the... Samus loses all her power-ups as unrealistic as that is because I it's a better it's better for characterization than oh her commanding officer said she can't use it even though it would totally be useful here.
0: Right, yeah, it's like, oh, I could totally circumvent like half of this level if I could use one missile to open this missile door. Why does Space Command or whatever the fuck it's called make doors that are only openable by shooting a missile at them if I'm not allowed to fucking use the doors. <laughs> it's so stupid! It, that's actually a good question anyways. Why do they make missile doors? Why, why is that a thing? <laughs> who, who decided, oh, gee, what if we have doors that, like, need to be shot with a missile in order to open?
1: That's, uh... You're, you're getting a little too mad here for me.
0: Right? I feel like with regular doors, you could just be like, okay, it, it needs an electrical charge, so you shoot it with your blast cannon, and gives a little extra juice, right? That kind of yeah. makes sense. But with a missile door, what the fuck?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's got a device on it that needs to be shot with a missile. <laughs> Who invents a device that sucks up a missile for no other purpose? than to open open a a door. (laughs) (laughs) So... Anyways... uh, It's
1: a pretty silly thing.
0: Yeah, so do you have another... uh, game for this topic?
1: Uh... Let me see here. So... I'm having trouble coming for games that... I think are flawed, but I really love. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I'm also having trouble thinking of games that I think were like competently executed, but no one really likes that well because they just weren't that amazing. Right. Good games in the sense that they're competent, but not you know, memorable, they don't have any, like, anything out above that, uh, they're just, I'll, I would come out and say, they're not actually that good, Uh-huh. despite what we've been saying. Right. Yeah, good games aren't that good. Write, write that one down. Good games aren't that Versace good? saw that. 2020.
0: <laughs> good games aren't
1: that good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh,
0: Fallout 3. That yeah. That
1: is the last game I'd bring up.
0: That's fair. Um, cause yeah. Fallout 3 was like, it was, it was fine, but like, it just felt like you were kind of going through a series of motions. Like, the, yeah. I felt like the story was, like, really linear, and it's like, you could somehow go back to some of the towns, I think, but it's like, you never had a reason to. The
1: story was totally linear, the uh, choices you made were just, like, black and white. Do I blow up the town or not blow up the town? Yeah. What the the fuck? And again, it was still
0: pretty fun in between, but it's like, then they made Fallout New Vegas, and it was like everything about Fallout 3, but also it's an open world, and the story is more interesting.
1: Story's more interesting, your choices actually matter. Yeah. Like, hey, even Caesar's (coughs) Legion, the there's just slaving, raping, murdering. Evil bastards.
0: Yeah, you're,
1: you're like at least they seem more realistic than I want to blow up this town because it's blocking my view of the countryside.
0: Ah, uh. yeah. Uh,
1: so Fallout Three is a weird one because I do kind of like it.
0: Yeah, I didn't like, like I have any like it. negative problems with it. I is like but I was like not floored by it. Like I liked a lot of the concepts that it introduced and I feel like it got me into the Fallout universe because that was the first Fallout game I played. So as a as a starting point into Fallout I feel like it's a pretty solid like here's kinda what Fallout's about, right? Um yeah. but then Fallout New Vegas like just built upon everything that it did and made it better
1: and uh it's worth noting that i like fallout 3 i don't love fallout 3 i think fallout 3 had flaws so it doesn't really fit either category i set out for this and that i think it's a flawed game but i don't it's a flawed game that i don't really love but i do enjoy Uh so it probably is like the perfect good game for the good games category but i like Pretty much every other entry in the Fallout series better than Fallout 3. Fallout 1 was, uh, had, like, was just kind of a gut punch. Fallout 2 had a lot of the classic, just freewheeling, lots of side quests exploration. And New Vegas was, while Apalichia's absolute hell was just much better designed, had a much more human story because it was less focused on, um,
2: good versus
1: evil and more on, oh, do we want to genocide or not genocide today?
0: Yeah. Uh. And I feel like that even carried over to, like, the little random bits in the lore of what you were doing. It's like, okay, yeah, you're doing all these, uh, quests for the new California Republic or whatever, but, like sometimes I felt like the random bandits like had a point you know yeah so it's like eh even in in some of these littler moments it's like yeah I can see where you're coming from that's pretty cool um so if that's your last one then I'll go with my last one is uh Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword it was good
1: I'm I'm sorry you cut out there
0: Skyward Sword
1: oh yeah Oh! Oh! Ooh. Yeah!
0: Didn't see, did you see that one coming? <laughs>
1: uh, I, I I would imagine many other people saying this, but I actually didn't. Wasn't expecting you to.
0: Yeah. Um. So Skyward Sword. Actually, I did an article on two guys playing Zelda. Um. A w- little a while ago, that was my bottom five Zelda games, and this was uh, the second worst Zelda game to me. Which is to say, it's still like an 8 out of 10, maybe, you know. <laughs> you know, that's that's how you rate Zelda games, is on a scale of 8 to 10, or so they say. But I don't know, this one, like, just nothing really drew me in about it as much as a lot of people. Like, a lot of people, like, really brag on the story, and I'm just like, it was fucking High School Musical, the Zelda version, right? It's all just, like, tween drama bullshit. I don't care. <laughs> and, like, love triangles and all this, and I'm like, whatever. Who, who cares? And you know, and like it, it, had some good story moments. You know, I really liked at the end how um, uh, Girahim was like. Uh, he wasn't like Zant, right? Like Zant in Twilight Princess is like, "Oh, I'm the big bad evil. I'm the greatest." And then like halfway through the game, he's like, "Just kidding. I'm just working for Ganon. I'm I'm not actually worth shit." And you're like, "Oh, well, you kind of killed off your character there, didn't you?" But but. <laughs> Girahim is like, he's the subordinate to the big bad evil, but there's kind of a cool reason for it if you play the game. He's kind of like, Fee is the spirit of the Master Sword, and Girahim is the spirit of the, like, anti-Master Sword. Uh, I, I don't remember if it has a name, but it's the Sword of Demise, the final boss. It's like, okay... I get it. You're two sword spirits doing different things. And that's... That's kind of cool. That gives you a little bit of lore there. I like it. And, uh... But... The rest of Girahim's character was really just kind of a cocky, annoying dick. I'm just like, whatever. You're, you're a villain. I get it. Shut up. Get out of my way. And... That was pretty much it. Like, the puzzles were fine. The... Dungeons were good. But... I feel like also, like, the moment Twilight Princess came out, I played it, and I was like, that was good, but Zelda really needs to go open world. And then the next game in the series, or the next console game in the series, was the most linear Zelda game to date. There is no Zelda game as linear as Skyward Sword. And I feel like that was just a step backwards, right? Like, the whole world is like this segmented thing where it's like, okay, you drop in in this region, and then you walk to the dungeon, and then you do the dungeon, and then you go back to the sky, and then you drop into the other region, walk to the other dungeon. And it's like, who, why? This is a segmented world is so, like, pointless. Everything is just point A to point B. It is like, it's one of the most linear games of all time, honestly. Um, and linear games are not necessarily a bad thing but I feel like Zelda particularly is a series that benefits from exploration and has always had one of its fundamental pillars holding up the rest of the series built on exploration since the very first game and Skyward Sword kind of took that and shot it in the fucking foot
1: yeah and I've never played Skyward Sword outside of like a brief couple of minutes at uh, friends houses um so i don't i can't have much of an actual opinion on it right but i feel like exploration was kind of the being as Zel- this is a zelda podcast still kind of based on our name right yeah Uh
0: we're not officially a Zelda it. podcast, but we talk about Zelda in every episode. So yeah. extrapolate from that what you will.
1: Uh, it, it's not hard to see that it, what the name was inspired by, uh, but exploration was kind of the point of the first game, and a lot of the games after it kind of narrowed that down. Yeah. So had reaching kind of like, year. Uh, with Skyward Sword just sounds disappointing. Mm -hmm. It's like, and and from what I've heard about Skyward Sword, particularly in the dungeon design, is that it was, like, decently designed.
0: Yeah, actually, some of the dungeons were actually some of my favorites in the series. Uh, But other things just kind of stood in the way. Um, The boss designs were not very good. I liked, like, basically almost none of the bosses. I don't... like, I'm thinking of bosses from... The, I, I really like... There's a giant scorpion boss called Mulderach. And he's really cool. And I think he's basically the only one that I really loved as a boss fight. Uh, and the other ones are like, just... Okay, this is a boss. Okay, it's got a giant eyeball. I shoot it. I got it. Okay, cool. Done? Are, are, are we done yet? Uh, yeah. It's it's funny. Uh, one of my favorite dungeons in the entire series is from Skyward Sword. It's called the Sand Ship. And if you haven't played this dungeon, basically you're uh, you've got this magic stone, right? And it is called a Time Shift Stone. So when you're holding the stone, everything in like a 20 foot radius or so is transported back in time for like a couple of hundred years. So you're, like, sailing through the desert with this magic stone because a 100 years ago it was a giant ocean where this desert is. So you, you can sail on the ocean through the desert, but only, like, 20 feet around you is actually ocean and the rest is desert. And they're like, that's such a cool idea. And then the entire dungeon is, like, this pirate ship, right? And you get on the pirate ship and... Uh like the there's a bunch of these littler time shift stones placed around. So like you basically have to solve some parts of the dungeon in the present and some of them in the hundred years ago past and stuff like that. And it's such a cool idea, because it's it's all the pirates are robots too, which is like it doesn't make any sense why all the robots this crazy futuristic technology is from the past. Uh we've kind of been over that a little bit. But it's um, it's like, okay, there's these robot pirates. That's great. And the mini-boss is this robot pirate that has an electric sword that you have a sword fight with on the fucking plank of the ship. It is so cool. And then you get to the actual dungeon boss, and it's this giant, stupid, cartoon-looking like monster with some tentacles and one giant fucking eye. And this is the dungeon where you get the bow. So like the moment you see it, you're like, okay, I guess I got to shoot it in the eye. Right. You know, instantly how to kill this boss. And it's not very hard and it looks stupid and cartoony. And you're like, but you had this like ridiculously epic moment in this thing with the, like, like, why wasn't he the main boss? right I'm fighting a robot pirate on the plank how is that not the boss right I was so pissed off when I got to that and like I feel like none of them were quite as much of a downer as that boss that boss I feel like is probably the worst in the series but I feel like I, I think I did a bottom five Zelda bosses and I think three of them were on were from Skyward Sword, Skyward Sword. yeah the, the bosses playing, are that though. bad. My wife says it was fun playing. Because
1: I liked the,
0: the, the... She liked the motion controls. The motion controls is weird, because I liked them. I thought they were fine, and I feel like that's the part that everybody complains about if they don't like Skyward Sword, and I'm just like, no, that was not one of its issues. Like, a little bit. Sometimes they were a little oversaturated, because I feel like driving the bird with the motion controls was stupid. But... Like... Other than that, most of the motion controls were like, okay, I can see it. It's fine.
1: So is that it for our list of, uh, for us talking about?
0: Yeah, I think so. That's our video game topic for today. So we're going to go to our table topic, which is unrelated. (laughs) That's our theme song for unrelated topics, apparently. I tried to think of a topic that was related to that, and I asked Chris, and he's like, I don't know. So, is there a correct time to not acquiesce to players' desires? Uh, Specifically as GM, like if you're kind of running a game, and, you know, the players want to do stuff, generally it's your job to be like, okay, yeah, um, just, just do stuff. Uh, uh, I,
1: I think the answer is yes uh, let's move on to the next topic
0: <laughs> right
1: yeah <laughs> but no actually uh, there there is a time there is a time to not acquiesce to the players desires but generally speaking uh, I think the default is that you do with what
0: the players want. Yeah, in almost so. every scenario, I'm just like, yes, the player says they want to do something, I'm going to fucking let them do it, even if it means I have to rewrite the entire next session. Right? Because yeah. uh, that's that's part of the fun as of tabletops as a player, I feel like, is you kind of get to use your creative thinking, uh, think outside the box, uh, put yourself in that character's shoes and figure out how they would get out of this situation. And if the DM didn't plan for exactly the situation that you are in, the, the solution to the situation that you're in, I should say, that's not your fault. You shouldn't be punished for that. They shouldn't be like, oh, well, I hadn't planned on that guy dying. Um, uh, you can't kill him. He's invincible. You know, that's, that's bullshit. Uh, that, that's pretty dumb. Yeah. Um, so... I feel like the general DM's job is to work with the players and work for the players. You know, they take what the players say and they make it the story.
1: So, and this is one of those topics I actually have, once again, I have multiple opinions about.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh... In that, I see that there's a few different primary roles that a GM can fill, depending on the type of game. Mm-hmm. And one of those roles is the primary role is uh, facilitator, as in they facilitate the players' fun. Yeah. They are going out of their way to uh, say, you know what? I, that's that sounds like a thing you could. Try and do, why don't you go ahead and do it? Just let it work and roll with the punches. Yeah. And I think that's good for a certain type of game. hmm uh, I don't think that's appropriate for every type of game, uh, which is why I talk about uh, another type of GM role, which I see as the neutral arbiter. Yeah. Where the GM portrays the world. The world is, you know, supposed to be mostly pretty consistent with itself. And the players can try anything that would it would make sense to try in that world. Yeah. And so you say, oh, I'm going to shoot that guy. And uh, even if it's, like, some major NPC, the GM's like, okay, uh, go ahead and where are you? Like, what's your location at? How are you shooting this guy? And there's no guarantee of success in that case.
2: Right. But they're, you're allowed to make the decision. You're allowed
1: yeah, to have the chance whatever the reasonable chance of success is Mm -hmm. but I think those are two very different kinds of games as well and and, and it's not a dichotomy like I'm making it out to be there's there's definitely overlap there Mm -hmm. but I feel like I tend I would want to tend to lean more towards that arbiter role, the the kind of neutral I portray the world arbiter role in some games.
0: In general, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'd want to do that more in certain games than I would in other games where I say, okay, you you guys are trying this absolute bullshit. Well, why not?
0: Yeah. So have you ever had a point in your DM career where you did not acquiesce to a player's uh, desire? Where you straight up said, no, you can't do that?
1: Uh, I'm certain I have. And it usually comes down to when the player tries to do something, either they try to do something uh, totally impossible, like I shoot down the sun impossible, Right, yeah. I'm just like...
0: Well, a theoretically possible DC is only a 45, so a 20th level fighter could probably shoot down the sun with a DC 45, right?
1: Yeah, but I would... There, there's a certain... There's <laughs> lots of points where I'm like... In the game, I say... That's not reasonably possible for this situation. Yeah. It's like if you try to reason with, say, a black ooze coming down the hallway... And I'm portraying the game in that neutral Arbiter role, I'm going to be like the ooze probably doesn't understand you You probably can't like talk with it or seduce it It doesn't yeah. have those concepts And if I was running a different type of game Where I'm doing kind of the Facilitator role uh, I'd be like, sure, go ahead And I'd make some shit up about uh, About the bard and the Because oo- well, we know it's going to be a bard, right? Right <laughs> uh, The bard and the oozes relationship Or whatever
0: yeah, what uh, if the bard wants to seduce that ooze? Okay, go the fuck ahead. You got, you cast tongues, I'll let you do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's lots of times
0: where... One language doesn't ooze speak. Show me I caught a fish! My wife caught a fish. Animal Crossing is apparently addictive, probably.
2: I don't know yet.
0: <laughs> she doesn't know yet. We got Animal Crossing today. Uh, that was the price I had to pay for getting Final Fantasy VII. I mean, oh, it was my wife's birthday, so it was okay. <laughs> She's flipping happy me off.
1: April. <laughs>
0: yep. Chris says happy birthday.
2: Thank you. She says thank you. <laughs> Here's but, present!
0: Yeah, I feel like I've never had a time when I've specifically said, no, you can't do that, unless it was like just straight up like against the rules or there was like something inhibiting it that like maybe occasionally I'll be like here's a hint because you don't know the rules as well as I do so I'll be like yeah okay you you can't really do something like that which came up actually the other day with um a buddy of ours was trying to cast a mind affecting spell on some golems and you were like well you can't do that because they don't they're mindless creatures and it, it, it is a little confusingly worded in the uh, context of the book, but at the same time, yeah, they're, they're mindless creatures. They cannot be affected by mind-affecting spells.
1: Yeah. It's so, uh, a... <laughs> generally, I don't acquiesce to players' desires when it screws with uh, Game the independent world behind it, because I yeah. do, I do like that Arbiter role, uh, and the idea is, and the idea is not to do that to limit players' choices, because, but it's to do that so that players' choices have meaning. They have a context behind them that, in a world that has rules that don't necessarily always respond to their desires.
0: Yeah. And I feel like there's a different kind of a way to react to this um, where it's... uh, Because, like, sometimes... It's dependent on the player. It's dependent on the situation. Because, like, sometimes I'll be like, yeah, you cast your spell and it does nothing because they're mindless creatures because, you know, they're not affected by mind-affecting. And ha-ha, you wasted your spell. But uh, with with the situation at hand, it was like... uh, player who was unfamiliar with 3.5 D&D, which we're playing and he's um just kind of reading off his spell book trying to do something good in the situation uh which he was fairly creatively thinking it was it would have been a good spell to cast if it had worked uh but it's mind affecting and it's against golems uh but i feel like when you're playing like a 12th level caster you probably know mind affecting spells don't affect golems. So I, I let him wreck on it. You know. uh, so is there uh, what what kind of decision making tools do you use in those kind of situations? Do you let players fuck up sometimes to learn and uh, and other times be like your characters should know this theoretically, I'll give you a DM hand wave. Do something else.
1: I, I do a little bit of both. I say if like if their characters should know something it's like something that should be common knowledge from yep and they say i want to do that the player says i want to do this thing i'd say your character would know disinformation about this uh but sometimes it makes sense that they try and do a thing that they wouldn't have that information about and then they learn that information as a result of screwing them. Mm-hmm. which i think makes can can result in interesting gameplay in some circumstances I try I usually don't do that because it's usually more frustrating than engaging right Uh, but I think there's a place for it
0: (laughs) so let me kind of spin this question a little bit of a different way Uh, what do you think uh, what what do you do If you come to a point where you really don't want to acquiesce to a player's desire, it'll fuck up your world, it'll fuck up your campaign a little bit, like, not necessarily irreparably, but, like, it'll really mess with things in the immediate sense, and you'll have to, like, redo the session on the fly. Uh, What do you do in those situations? Do you redirect, or do you just kind of let it happen and roll with the punches in every scenario? generally speaking I uh
1: if a player comes up with something that they've done that will fuck my plans immediately uh I'll say okay that happens and if I'm throwing off enough I might be like okay can you guys give me a few minutes to figure out what to do next because you threw me a curveball I really wasn't expecting this so I need to I need a little extra time to prepare uh, and then I can usually do like a little preparation and then improv through a lot of the rest of it yeah especially since the way I run games is it, there tends to be a consistent strong world behind it so it it usually isn't too hard to figure out how the world fills in some pieces yeah and I I think I have an example of this in Josh wishing that pandas had existed on the island the adventure took place on.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, then wished that pandas currently exist on, on the island that they were adventuring on. And because the island had been racked with cataclysms that had killed pretty much everything on it, <laughs> uh, he ended up making super pandas <laughs> so i took about 10 minutes to roll up the species of super pandas that now infested the island and said okay <laughs> and then when they went to adventure around lay they were under attack by super pandas pretty much anytime they were outside of the city uh-huh. uh huh. so that that drove some other players up the wall but right <laughs>
0: Yeah, because um, I've kind of had a little bit of problem with this occasionally. Uh, particularly uh, one time in my campaign where everybody's kind of uh, interacting with a lot of the gods and things, and uh, it's it's kind of a big world that you guys have been like traversing. We had a we had a different conversation about this campaign, um, about uh, taking the long way around, and our group generally liking to do that. And then we got a new player, and he kind of. Uh, Went. He was a more direct kind of a player, and so he was just like, "Oh, I teleport right to uh, Bahamut and ask him for the job offer that he was posting for somebody else or something like that." Um, and it's just like, I'm like, "Okay, hold on, I have to like look up my notes on it." It was like such a curveball because I'm like, I have a whole session prepared for what you're doing immediately where you are, and now you're on the opposite side of the fucking planet. Uh, So it's like, I I rolled with the punches, and I thought it worked out pretty good, and I I talked to people afterward, and it it sounds like it went pretty good, and nobody really noticed. Uh, So it was like, I'm okay with that. I'll give myself a little pat on the DM back there uh, for just kind of BSing my way through this. Um, where you just kind of like teleport to the lair of all these dragons and, you know, uh, kind of uh, talk your way into having an audience with, you know, the god of the dragons, Bahamut, uh, in my Whoa. campaign world, who's based on Bahamut in name only. Uh, so he's kind of this arrogant sort of a dude, and I'm just like trying to have to roleplay him uh, on the fly with literally no idea of what he's going to do prepared because i'm like i've got a couple of vague ideas for what he's going to do but i figured it was so far off that i would have a chance to plan like before you actually got there and then you know what new player and he's just like oh yeah we teleport there because i'm a mage and we teleport and i'm like what oh shit, (laughs) and it i still think it worked out for a pretty good session and i don't like begrudge him but it was like really, like, one of the hardest moments of my DMing career to just be like, yes, I let you do this thing that means I throw out ten pages of notes on my fucking campaign, and I do something else.
1: (laughs) So I think uh, generally it's worth what it's worth talking about is um, preparing why I think part of what you did worked and part of what I did worked yeah, was we both had we had wor- like worlds set up beforehand yeah. so we had an idea of how those worlds would react to what the players did mm-hmm. so we, even if we were like even if we had to design new stuff on the fly we still had a pretty good baseline of what to expect, we weren't It wasn't a plop. It was a... uh, It was a... Something that could react. Yeah. Uh, So...
0: Yeah, that's kind of one of the things I kind of design my campaigns around is assuming that the players will not do what I expect them to. So a lot of times when I'm designing like a linear kind of session where it's like okay i expect them to do this and then this and then this i kind of take like i kind of come up with three or four ideas of what they could do and i'm like okay so if they do this then these characters react like this if they do this these characters react like this right and Inevitably, they always do an option five that I had no idea that they would ever come up with, but I've got so many ideas of what they would do in different scenarios that I've got the idea behind their character, Uh, right? And that's kind of, I kind of took this a little bit into the world building element in this Ragnarok campaign as well, where I'm like, all of these gods, I kind of came up with a little bit of a personality and kind of a backstory with. And a lot of the gods have kind of intertwining backstories that uh, you haven't necessarily seen some of. uh, And I think some of those will probably come up at some point, but I don't know when. Uh, You know, it's like, okay, this you know, it it, it gives you a good baseline for like what's gonna happen. Like whatever you do, like you could go and talk to some gods that I haven't even mentioned yet, right? And I've got enough kinda built into them that I could probably fudge a session or two, right?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of I think a lot of DMing is just being willing to improv and then take good notes afterwards so you don't contradict shit that happened in front of the players right because that's that's, to me that's really the only worry is you present a consistent world or something that seems like a consistent world and then you make sure that that world doesn't contradict its own rules Mm mm-hmm in the future, and then you and then you can get more into detail and in preparation, like with dungeons or like scrolls or whatever. But even in improvisation, just so long as when you present something improv uh, something that you improvised, that mm-hmm. you don't you know reneg on it.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I think that. You can run a fun game that way with very little prep.
0: Yeah. Which I feel like I do kind of medium prep. I do. I feel like I do little prep compared to some people, but I I feel like I do like an overwhelming amount of prep to other people. So it's like, I guess I'm in the middle. It's it's weird seeing like different styles of DMs do it, like all the prep and none of the prep. But that's a topic for another time. Yeah. The uh, of preparation. Yeah, so is there any other specific thing you want to talk about for correct time not to acquiesce to players' desires?
1: Uh, there's also uh, something that's kind of on topic and kind of isn't. Uh-huh. That's when players bring stuff in that uh,
2: other players
1: might not really be cool with. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. uh give me an example uh
1: like having and I know we've had a similar discussion before about having like a murdering necromancer type character in a party of do-gooders or something along those lines
0: Oddly enough that worked out pretty good but I can see how it would (laughs) not yeah
1: it makes sense that you would say no to certain uh player dis- choices that might ruin the game for other players Yeah. or you might at the very least say to the other players hey are you guys cool with continuing playing with this if this was introduced mm-hmm. and there's really no shortcut around that other than addressing that out of game I think yeah, I mean, I mean, you can introduce, you can not do that, and then introduce the character and introduce like a uh, character concept that doesn't, or character build or whatever that doesn't work with the current party, and just hope it works out. And if it works out, great. But if it doesn't, you don't really have much of a recourse.
0: Yeah, that's a kind of a hard one too, because it's like you want to. Let them play the character they want to play, but it's like if it doesn't work with the rest of the party or something, then yeah, what the fuck?
1: So it's, I would usually, this is why I tend to say PvP. Uh, when since Pv, uh, even though I don't think that's necessarily a hard and fast rule you need for everyone, there's enough people that do need that rule are otherwise, you know, fine to play with. That uh it's worth mentioning that up. Yeah. It's like like you and I, I think we can we, we can be trusted with PVP.
0: But uh, yeah, cuz it's like it's a thing that doesn't come up much cuz of we kind of share this sort of mentality that like if you're playing D&D with a group there's kind of an unwritten rule that you work together with the group to achieve whatever the common goal is you know so there's no reason that says you can't be a chaotic evil character in a lawful good party right but you have to figure out some reason why you're working together and even if you're just fudging it you know sometimes maybe that's what you gotta do but I feel like that's one of the more creative things to do is kind of figure out, okay, why is my evil character interacting with all these good people? Uh, And, you know, one of the big examples we come back to is my necromancer, Silas, who would kind of manipulate people into not necessarily doing exactly what he wanted, but working towards his end as almost a ruse where it's like, He's kind of telling him it's for the greater good a little bit, and they are in some times, you know, working towards the greater good and helping people out, but Silas is all in it for himself, you know. Push comes yeah. to shove, he's gonna be like, okay, yeah, I'll turn you into a zombie. We're, we're good, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was thinking, I, I, I like the idea of like a chaotic evil character who's with all the good characters because the good characters are genuinely this guy's friends. He would do anything for his friends, but he doesn't, he genuinely doesn't give a shit about everyone else in the world. (laughs) Right. And willingly murder an entire village just for fun. Yeah. Kind of character. I was like, I kind of, I kind of enjoy the idea of that psychotic character.
0: Yeah. I fight for my friends. I'm also addicted to crack and heroin. Crack and heroin. Good ol' Ike.
1: Ain't like Ike. Yeah.
0: Uh. All right. Is that that?
1: So is that all we have to say on the?
0: I think so. Uh, that's that's pretty much all I got. Uh, most of the time, try and do what your players want and. Um, if you can't, don't be a total dick about it. Uh, so that brings us to basically the end of the podcast. So now's the part where we shill our shit because sometimes we forget to shill our shit. So I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can find me on two guys playing Zelda.com, as well as the new TGpZ gaming website., um, so check us out. I write articles about stuff. I haven't in a while because I've been like, Going fucking nuts in my house with coronavirus Which seems like I should have lots of time to write Articles but, but like we
2: have kids Yeah
0: I have kids and and other stuff And like the going nuts part is a little bit Like a thing um, You're going a little stir crazy Yeah a little bit um, So yeah I uh, haven't written anything in a while I've got a few pieces that I've been meaning To finish and post But uh, haven't got to it So anyways check them out it's a good little gaming website Gives you all your uh, Zelda info, and uh, Zelda-related content from Morel on the Web. Uh, all kind of in one place. Good little website. Um, check them out. And this is Chris. He has a last name, but he ate it all I
1: have a last name, but I don't know how to eat use- Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can find uh, my works on Drive-Thru RPG. They're both pay what you want. I wrote House of Flowers uh adventure that you should be able to use with most D ish systems uh you'll have an easier time with odnd or fifth edition D than you would with say uh fourth edition don't try playing it with fourth edition please god don't uh but you can pick that up for any price including the price of free try before you buy and just try if you don't got no money i don't blame you i also co-wrote uh five cataclysms core rules beta edition which is the system that that adventure is intended to be played with uh which contains a lot of similarities to D&D. a lot of our favorite uh rules are in there a lot of nice little extras you can also pick that up for pay what you want and my co-author has plenty of excellent adventures that you could also pick up, but you have to pay money for those. Uh, but they're definitely worth it. They're definitely worth the few bucks that you would chill out for them. Uh, that's it for me.
0: All right. And that was the part of the podcast where we talk about some random bullshit until somebody says something really awkward. Yeah, like uh, the wood. The wood? Wood. I'll drink to that. Whatever it is. Who's Wood? This is Wood. Wood like uh, Chris has sent me a link on here. Oh, Wood. It's Doom spelled upside down. I get it. I see that. He's yeah. got a chainsaw, get it? He cuts Wood with the chainsaw, not demons. <coughs> that sounds like a much more boring game than... Uh,
2: Animal Crossing?
0: I was not going to say Animal Crossing. I was going to say Doom. But, um, yeah, I, I do gotta admit
1: that I never really got into Animal Crossing.
0: Me neither. My wife just got it, so maybe I'll try it out as long as it's in the house. But, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's just, a... Uh, it seems like one of those more, like,
0: chill out games, but,
1: I don't know. I don't
0: know.
2: A I mean, spider just bit me on
0: that. A spider just <laughs> bit April. Wow.
1: And I was chased by wasps.
0: And she's chased by wasps. Wow, this is getting is Tom Nook straight in this up game? kooky. I think Tom Nook is in this game somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, he is.
0: Yeah, dick. He's just I think everyone money. knows
1: my opinions on Tom Nook.
2: Mm.
0: He's a commie? Uh, he makes you not move somewhere,
2: and then he says, Oh yeah, you owe me money, you bitch.
0: <laughs> what a dick. Are they allowed to use the word bitch in Nintendo games? I doubt it. Mm.
2: I need to find soft wood, though.
0: Everybody likes soft wood. uh, Apparently. So, let's see. Uh, Here, Chris sent me another thing. It's a little comic. Minmax, baby. Okay, I'll take the colic trait for extra points and put everything into legs. It's got giant legs. Sequence break to enter grocery while the nursing bonus to milk is active. Ah. Uh-huh. That's silly. Well, anyways, um I guess we could have cut this off on something about Tom Nook's wood, but we didn't.
2: I was I was gonna say I was I just said soft wood and you didn't cut it off.
0: Softwood would But been- i I didn't cut off Tom Nook's soft
2: wood.